Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. From BGS and Osiris Media, you're listening to The Shift List, where chefs talk about the music that fills their kitchens, restaurants, and recipes. I'm Chris Jacobs. This week on the show, we close our mini-series focusing on the food of Montreal with chef, restaurateur, and cookbook author Diane Solomon. So if you're from Montreal, Diane Solomon needs no introduction. She's the co-owner of multiple restaurants around the city, including Foxy, one of the city's essential fine dining establishments, and released the Olive and Gourmando cookbook back in November 2019, a collection of 150 recipes from the namesake cafe that put Solomon on Montreal's culinary map when it opened back in 1999. I checked in with Diane over email the other week to see how her restaurants have been affected by the stay-at-home orders in Canada, and she replied with cautious optimism, saying that while all of her restaurants are closed until further notice, they are surviving and trying to remain positive about the future. Now, if you've listened to the last two episodes of the Shiftless podcast, you'll know that I featured another Montreal chef, John Winter Russell of Restaurant Candide, and highlighted the work that he's doing to help support the Montreal Restaurant Workers Relief Fund, an organization set up to fund emergency economic relief to restaurant employees who are facing economic hardship due to COVID-19. The fund was actually set up by Caitlin Doucette, the sommelier at Foxy, and donations are still being accepted over at mtlrestoreliefund.org. Amidst everything, Chef Diane Solomon said she was looking forward to hearing this episode of The Shift List as it will serve as a reminder of the time before COVID-19 when hospitality and dining out was something that we never thought we'd lose. It'll look different for a time whenever it does return in full force, but for now, enjoy some of her favorite music next time you find yourself cooking something comforting at home, perhaps something from the Olive and Gourmando cookbook. I checked, and yes, Amazon is still delivering it nationwide. Here's my conversation with Chef Diane Solomon, recorded a few months back at her office in Old Montreal, located just around the corner from Olive and Gourmando. So my name is Diane Solomon, and I'm a chef co-owner of uh, three restaurants, Olive and Gourmando, that's 21 years old, which is a daytime restaurant. Everything you can imagine that you can eat and consume during a day, we, we provide <laughs> <laughs> and then we opened Foxy about three and a half years ago. That's a nighttime. We only cook with fire, so it's quite interesting. We don't have any gas in the house, so we really restricted ourselves. It's, yeah. it's all about the fire. We have a big Argentinian barbecue and a big uh, wood-fired oven. It's beautiful. So the newest restaurant is called um, In Po de Pio. I'm sure I'm, the pronunciation is terrible, but it basically means a little bit more in Italian. Uh, it's an aperitivo cafe. Very much based on something that you might find in Milan, very old school. Uh, you walk in and you feel like it's been there for a really long time, although there's a lot of sort of very modern 
play, a little bit of a vintage 1970s feel as well. It's fun. Did you have any um, spots uh, or, or restaurants between Olive and, and uh, Foxy? Or, or No. So we for 18 years, we didn't open another restaurant. We waited. Yeah. Much to my partner's chagrin. That's <laughs> really more my fault, I think. <laughs> I just, uh, we just, I wasn't ready. And it was a big step. It was a really big step to go and open up a second restaurant. Yeah. It's huge. But it, it went well, it seems. It went really well, probably because we took so much time yeah. to do it. Uh, we had a lot of experience under our belts, but still, it's like nighttime is totally different than daytime. It had been a long time since we'd been cooking at night, so it's a different vibe. I grew up in uh, Ontario. I grew, I'm from Kingston, Ontario, a little small town. My mom uh, is a psychologist and a professor at Queen's, so I grew up in that. It's like a very small university town in Ontario came to McGill when I was 19 and didn't intend on staying in Montreal, sort of came to go to university and then imagined myself running off somewhere where I could speak English and work because <laughs> I didn't speak French at all. Do you now? I do. I do. I mean, it's not, it's charming according to the Quebecers, but I think, you know, I have, I have a very heavy accent, but I can get by for sure. But um, I, I didn't end up leaving. I went to McGill. I sort of ran off for a little bit to cooking school. There's a long story there. Came back and worked at a restaurant called Toke and, and never left. Toke is still considered like definitely one of our best restaurants. And, and he's definitely uh, the parent, uh, the, what do you want to call it, sort of the... The original fine dining, amazing restaurant of Montreal. Anyone who, um, from my generation, who sort of opened up something or who went on to do great things in the culinary world in Montreal, all passed through Toke. So he really did uh, father a lot of great cooks. I met uh, my business partner, Eric, there. We were actually uh, love partners at the time. We, the typical classic story sort of fell in love. He had this great idea that we should go open something. He dragged me with him. Uh, he was 25. We were children, but we ran off and opened Olive and Gramando. And yeah, the, the music that we choose between the three restaurants is, is really, really different, obviously. And we tend to evolve a lot with our customer base, you know, sort of really... As much as we have a taste in, in music, for sure, the, the space itself and the clients themselves also dictate a vibe. So I was saying that, like, you know, if it's summer and all of it's cranking and we have a huge lineup out the door, then, yeah, we want a music that I feel like people want to sing along to, that's louder, that that sort of makes you want to hustle a bit and maybe even hustle out the door. So and that, that, that people might know? That people know, they feel yeah. familiar, I mean, that, that they can sing with, you know, that it sort of makes them feel welcome, but that it's also like the beat of the, the flow of the service, everything's fast, so it's faster. Because for me, there's nothing worse than going into an empty restaurant, you know, on a winter's day and Donna summer or some kind of crazy disco is going on, and you're like, what is going on here? This is not right. No, you know, that would be the day that we would sort of, you know, take out Chet Baker or... A gloomy radio head and, you know, something that sort of fits and matches the, the feeling of the restaurant. For me, that's really important. Do you have a, a particular favorite era of Radiohead? I don't, but I actually, my very last thing that you asked me was, I will go to my grave loving Radiohead. It's my very favorite. <laughs> so we just skipped ahead to, to death. <laughs> yeah, <we> Great. <laughs>
You know, Olive is a lot, we do play a lot of jazz at Olive. It fits really well, jazz from all eras, all types. It just works. It works with the, the feeling, the colors, the, the people. Um, Foxy's a little bit more of a, if you want, a sexy restaurant in a sense. It's, it's very dark, it's nighttime, there's lots of candles, there's the fire that you see. It's, it just is. We didn't set out to make it like that, but it really is. Everyone always walks in there, ah, such a sexy room. We're like, oh, weird. We did talk a lot about how, like, you go and you sit in that place, and if you're sitting there listening to Billie Holiday, it just feels very right. So, I mean, even when Eric was decorating and we were talking about choosing different colors and things with our, our designer, he was talking about music. I guess in some ways we were very influenced by the feeling. The things I'm giving, they're easy to give. Well, you might have it written down, but I would love to hear um, the Quebecois music that you like. When I first started to cook, my first real culinary job, as I was saying, was at Toke. Mm -hmm. And I worked with mostly French Canadians, a few people from France, almost entirely guys. And I didn't speak French, so I was sort of madly scrambling to learn French and really got into French music at that moment. And I did play a lot. I do remember, as it was interesting to look at your question because I was like, oh my God. So, I mean, Dubmatic, MC Solar. Jean Laloux, Daniel Bélanger, Harmonium, Pierre Lapointe, Patrick Watson, Ariane Moffat. Like, these are all really great Quebec, you know, singers who people here, I mean, like, they're really into that music. So that sort of introduced me to a culture that I was just starting to get to know. And I was, I mean, I was really into it. It also helped me to, um, I feel like, just sort of integrate a little bit and understand something that, you know, because Quebec culture is so very different from the rest of Canada. And, I mean, speaking the language is a way of accessing that culture, but also then there's just all their culture culture. like. They watch different TV, they grew up with just different references. So what I grew up with as a young Ontario kid compared to somebody else in Quebec is just has nothing, they're just, it's night and day. They won't have any of the same references. So it's a good way to start to feel part of something. So that was really fun. Super, super fun, actually. Of, of any of those artists, that's a great list you threw out. And of any of those artists, are there any uh, particular songs that stand out to you of, of any of those artists that you really have a, have a fond, fondness for? Um, Daniel Bélanger, uh, I love his uh, Rêve Mur album. I think we, like, just played that on repeat. Forever. And he then became a very good customer at Olive, mm. so it was kind of fun, actually. So that I was listening to a lot of that, but I was also that was also at the moment when I mean I was really into trip hop. That was you know the era of Portishead, Massive Attack.
but I feel like that's what we played. It was sort of that or a lot of uh, French rap, a lot of really Quebec old bands, like Harmonian's a really old band. It's kind of like folky, big band kind of music, but that people continue to listen to, you know? And that was all during prep? Yeah, during prep. Did, it was fun. Yeah. And was all that pretty new to you? Um, not the trip hop. That was really my personal at home sort of music taste. And that was very much that era of like the 90s. That's what, you know what I mean? And I loved, again, Portishead is also one of my favorite all-time bands. And, and also feel that they have stood up the test of time. Like you put that album, you know, any one of their albums on right now. And you're just like, wow. To It was more the French music that, of course, you know, other than working, hearing that music at Tokyo, I never would have listened to that music otherwise. Do you still go back to it now? Uh, it's funny, I just put on Dubmatic about a month ago and I was like, I still like this, this is fun. <laughs> it's kind of a very, it's rap, but it's it's very, a light rap, I would say. Les bons moments que nous passâmes ensemble, même s'il nous fallut du temps pour vraiment nous comprendre, notre histoire débuta bizarrement par une dispute pour développer une amitié dont la force de vie. So I was, I think there's definitely a musical culture in, in everyone's kitchen, in kitchens in general. Huge difference between people who just sort of do pastry or mise en place and the kind of music they listen to versus the team that comes in late afternoon, prepares for service. Um, and at Foxy, you can really see the juxtaposition of both of those things. So we have like people working during the day and it's more like something to keep them going. It's pleasant. It's like an ongoing conversation. It's very like often very calm. And then the line sort of comes in and puts on their music and it's much more of a preparation for something kind of athletic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and they're the you know the endorphins are rushing, and it, we don't we don't have a, a macho kitchen at all. It's not an aggressive kitchen. I don't. I mean, I won't. We don't allow that. So it's very. It's not like very bromancy or you know. It's like lots of lots of women working in the kitchen. The chefs are women, but still, there's something about the preparation that's going on. Yeah. There's definitely that element to the music. Like a lot of uh, Arcade Fire, which is great because Arcade, it's like very, uh, there's like very lyrical, but very dancey. Yeah. Last time I went in, there was Fleetwood Mac playing, which I think is really interesting. So, I mean, like all kinds of, like a very diverse it seems to me there's like a kind of like a mini, you know, who gets to decide the music for that day, which I think is kind of cool. I love to be a bit of a, um, a bit of a voyeur in my kitchens too. I'm really interested in knowing what's going on with the people who work there. I, I like that to kind of sneak around. Like I'm very present in terms of what we're, we're serving with my sort of like opinions about food and flavors and things. But other than that, I, I, I really find myself behaving more like a guest in their kitchen. Like a sort of, I like to know more about what, what's going on with them. So I don't, I don't want to 
dictate very much. I think part of the privilege of knowing that you are the boss and that from the standpoint that I'm at now, we're knowing that even though I worked there for well, close to six months, pretty slave-like, yeah, um, <laughs> I knew that that would come to an end. I mean, otherwise I would have jumped off a bridge. I'm 51 right now. It's kind of like, I, I, I can't, you know, it's like at some point that you just can't do it anymore. You know what I mean? I would just like. That's great though. I, you're, I think you're the first chef that I talk, I've talked to that had like, like has like an exit strategy, like yeah. a, open the restaurant, exit strategy, pass it off. It, yeah, I think you have to at some point. Probably that's why I was so reluctant to open another business because I couldn't really let go of that. Yeah. But in opening Foxy right away, just understood like I had to pull back in order to be present for everybody um, in the way that I need to be, you know, using my skill set. Because even at Foxy, I was washing dishes at two in the morning because that's what was needed. But I don't think that's the best use of my skills at this point, you know? So it's kind of like being, I think sometimes chefs don't have that capacity to understand that they have um, knowledge and talent that could be better used by pulling back a little bit. Yeah. So it's a, it's a struggle, though. And if that's what you like to do, it's, it's really hard to let go. My feeling is that, like, music is so important because it, it evokes emotion in the same way that food does that in some ways it's kind of like when you have a restaurant it's a bit of a double whammy because you're you're already opening up this sort of pandora's box of inviting people in where you're serving up food that might trigger something for people as food often does smells and food as well as playing music which might also trigger something which in some ways i think explains why people have such kind of like um, intense emotional responses to restaurants in general. I mean, if you just take a look at Yelp, <laughs> all the evidence is there <laughs> that people react violently in a good way, in a bad way, because because it is sort of tugging on those types of heartstrings. You know, you could eat in a restaurant on a night um, where you're breaking up with your wife and it's the worst meal you've ever had in your life and then go back a year later with your new lover and it's the best food you've ever had but the food never changed necessarily so it's very interesting too you know sort of all the associations so for me yeah they're they're very linked in that sense thanks again to chef diane solomon pick up a copy of her latest cookbook with 150 recipes from her iconic cafe olive and gourmando also head to mtlrestoreliefund.org if you want to support the work they're doing to provide relief to restaurant workers in need all over Montreal. The Shift List is produced by me, Chris Jacobs. Our executive producer is Amy Reitenauer, with help, as always, from the entire BGS team, including associate editor Justin Hiltner, marketing guru Joseph Klingel, and all the amazing writers and contributors that make BGS the best source for roots culture redefined. Special thanks to Osiris Media. Check out their entire roster of music and culture podcasts over at OsirisPod.com. I'm Chris Jacobs. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No from the podcast Basic Folk, honest conversations with folk musicians. Basic Folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to Basic Folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network or at basicfolk.com.